0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design.
1: Hello, everybody. It's episode 103, and today is October 22nd, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, and I'm joined over there by Mr. Blake Arnstorf. What's up, everybody? Don't I sound pleasant today? Man, it's been a rough week. That's okay, though. We got some excellent news stories. We're going to be breaking down. Uh, Yes, I said stories. We got multiple ones. We're taking a look at the split-second Phantom images that can fool Tesla's autopilot, as well as Waymo restarting their robo-taxi service without human safety drivers. We're going to lump it together into one autonomous vehicle uh, episode for you all. Uh. So, yeah, and then we're going to be taking some some things from the community as well. Uh, again, want to thank everybody for the engagement in our Slack. It's been phenomenal. Um, if you haven't already, take a listen to that HFES 2020 retrospective. That was a great time. Haven't had a chance to check out any of the panels since, but it's definitely been a good time. And it was great to catch up with everybody. Uh, but, Blake, I'm, i am i got to know what's going on in your world.
2: Man, not a whole bunch. Uh, it's interesting that we're talking about Tesla this week because I had talked to my – Dad last week, and I—I I don't know, six or seven months ago, he had bought himself a Tesla because he was discovering that he was having some problems when he was driving, and he thought, surprisingly to me anyway, that in his 60s, that autopilot might be a good idea. Um, okay, okay, but unfortunately, why, why surprisingly?
1: Why surprisingly? Um,
2: because he's not like super into tech. He really loves you know old school muscle cars and things like okay. that. So the last thing I would have ever expected him to spend money on would be one another car but an electric car at that. Uh, But he was excited about the the fact that there was autopilot in it and it had a lot of safety features for somebody like him that's a bit older. Um, But the thing that has kind of blown my mind is the amount that he knows about what's going on with Tesla and some of the technology behind it that I don't. And, like, like for one, one of my friends is actually spending some time redesigning an application for a high-end electronic company car, and I didn't realize that Tesla had all of these different features that you could basically launch from an application for your car, whether it's like downloading software updates or starting the car from inside, basically using your, your phone as a key fob. Um, but it was kind of cool to talk to him over the weekend and get, a, get kind of a retrospective sense of, how much technology has grown into even my parents' lives because it's something that I deal with every day. It's part of my job. I mean, I spend most of my time in front of a computer, either writing code or making designs. Um, but even now, like parents having electric cars or interacting with their phones to drive their cars is pretty intense to me. Um, but other than that, man, not a whole lot has been going on. How about you? How have you been this week?
3: i uh,
1: it's it, it, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> I I want to talk about, uh, you know, we always like to talk about human factors here. But I want to talk about expectations versus what you get and how, like, the hype machine is real kind of. So um, it's no secret that I am a fan of cloud gaming. And so we got a couple of things over the last couple of weeks, I guess. We had Amazon Luna who announced their big um, kind of pricing model, which is like almost like a cable TV where you get your... Um, you get a batch of games for a certain price a month, right? It's a subscription fee. It's kind of like any, it's kind of like a uh, game pass, right? Uh, and then you have Stadia on the other side of things where they let you buy your games outright. And I'm a little bit more excited about that model and it's no secret to anyone who listens to the show and has heard me talk about Stadia. I'm excited about the future uh, of cloud gaming and specifically I'm excited about what Stadia can bring. And um, this week was rough uh, <laughs> for someone uh, who is so uh, such a believer in the platform because uh, like last week, we had some great announcements for the platform. We know we got the con- confirmation that Cyberpunk, which is a hugely anticipated game, is coming to Stadia the same day it's coming to every other platform, which is a huge sigh of relief for those of us who wanted to play on that platform. Uh, and then we also got a huge catalog of Ubisoft games that are coming to the platform as well. They're older, but they're still uh, coming, and that's, that's exciting too. Um, and so we were... And, and then, in addition to that, Stadia team, they announced, oh, hey, you know, we got some good news coming next week. And everyone was like, oh, well, this if that was the news this week, then next week's going to be great. And so everyone was, you know, hyping it up in the community. And, um, you know, expectations were pretty high. There are certain features that we were looking forward to and everything like that. And then the day comes and it's – so it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. They stra- They did five-minute videos, one for each day, for a total of like 15 minutes, right? So it could have just been one video um they did some cool things like playable demos so as soon as you watched this presentation you could click on a button and play the demo right in your browser that's kind of a cool technology um that i think was showcased well the thing that didn't go so well is that they really showed off like nine different games over the three days um two of which were known already one of which is in early access now and another one has been out for a year but is coming to the platform next month it's highly anticipated because it's star wars um and then uh you know so so (sighs) it's this whole expectation versus reality thing and i guess you know i was playing it up in my head and i was trying very hard to not be uh uh what's the word um I have high expectations because in the past I've definitely had that, and it's like even my lowest expectations—they managed to uh, go below my lowest expectations. <laughs> so oh real, no! Like, yeah, I mean, so I guess you know, it'd be it, it would have been better if they just didn't announce it and then just stealth dropped it. You know, I think that's got to be the way to go because then you have no expectations going in, and whatever you come out of of this thing with, it's it's more than what you had, um, and. I just think, you know, hyping something or announcing an announcement is you got to have something good if you want to announce an announcement. And that's kind of where I will leave that expectation piece at. But there's another piece of this that's just like for, for a stadia, I, I refuse to call myself a fanboy because I do believe in all cloud gaming and the, the technology is there. But, um, but something. <laughs> did not look great for the platform is that one of the so there's a studio uh where one of the people is a creative director and because it says creator director at stadia they tweeted something out today about not uh (laughs) like like streamers should have to pay video game developers to stream their stuff and it hit number one on twitter you know above Trump is uh what was the other one is like Trump is stupid or something it, it, it hit number one above that right y- which you know it's bad stadia is trending number one for the wrong reasons um so yeah it was uh that was fun um
2: <laughs> yeah that's too yeah, bad I just, th- and I don't know I would that's it's a bummer that it's like that that's a person that has like a title in stadia because that could lead to a lot of, not I don't understand like the the revenue that streaming brings but i know it's big and that could you know stop people from streaming on the platform not the studio so that that's kind of funny Um, well i mean it was it was kind of brought to the attention of
1: everybody too because dr disrespect like he, he went out there and said hey everybody this is the creative director of stadia so check that out um and it's like yeah it was not great yeah Uh, (laughs) that's not good (laughs) for the platform at all (laughs) no uh so anyway still haven't received my amazon luna invite (laughs) uh but but i will result report back on those results soon um yeah i wonder what the
2: like differences will be in terms of like the cloud gaming experience it'll be cool to hear what you kind of think or if there is like comparisons or if they're very much similar um yeah, Especially I mean, since Amazon's videos. not somebody that's been in this space before. I mean, they're obviously like big in cloud well, computing, but the gaming are, should right? be interesting. I mean,
1: th- well, they, they're in gaming. They, they have Twitch. They
2: have some, yeah, but like and, at this kind of level is a little bit bigger than what they've done before, and it looks like they're releasing yeah. a fair amount at once.
1: I mean, look, the thing is, yeah, they do have
2: AWS, and they have Twitch,
1: and they have you know, they have the technology and it's exciting. And, you know, Amazon is a corporation, uh, corporations just in general, eh, don't feel great about it, but you know, it's like there it's, it's, uh, they have the technology. I'm not worried about that side of things. I'm just, I'm excited to see what developers and other, other sort of video game creators come up with in these virtual environments. Right. If you have, if you have unlimited, so to speak, resources in the cloud environment and can render things um, that would not be possible on a physical computer box that is with you. Like, that's that's what excites me, right? And, like, the utilizing some of the technology behind the scenes to implement AI for conversations with, like, NPCs or something like that. That's the technology that excites me, and I'm, I'm excited to see it get there. But, man, do we have a long way to go before <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we should move on to this next part of the show we like to call (music) Human Factors News. Yes, that's right. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. Uh, This could be anything from, well, I guess we got, like, what, some automation in there, a little bit of robotics, uh, uh, self-driving vehicles. Uh, as long as it relates to the field of human factors, oh and cybersecurity too. It's a fair game for us to talk about. Blake, what do we got up first this week?
2: All right. So safety concerns of our over, over automated driver assistance system like Tesla's usually focus on what the car can't see, and like the white side of a truck that confused one Tesla back in 2016, leading to the death, death of a driver. But one group of researchers has been focused on what autonomous driving systems might see that a human driver doesn't, including phantom objects and signs that aren't really there, which could wreak havoc on the road. Researchers at Israel's Ben Gurion University of Negev have spent the last two years experimenting with those phantom images to trick semi-autonomous driving systems they previously revealed that they could use split-second light projections on roads to successfully trick tesla's driver assistance systems into automatically stopping without warning when its camera sees a spoofed image of road signs or pedestrians and in their new line of research they've actually found that they can pull off the same trick with just a few frames of a road sign injected on a billboard's video and they warn that if hijacked if hackers hijacked an internet-connected billboard to carry out this type of trick, it could use be used to cause traffic jams or even road accidents while leaving little evidence behind. So there's a lot to kind of unpack there. But at the end of the day, it seems like there's a lot more work that has to be done to deal with... So to get cars to the point, at least from Tesla's perspective or any company, cars that use a similar uh, sense-and-avoid technology to avoid these kind of phantom images that a driver couldn't even avoid if it saw it.
1: Right. Yeah. So let's, so we have two news stories. Both of them relate to autonomous vehicles. Let's talk about this. Let's get into the other story and then we'll talk about both of them together. Um, this is interesting to me because this is a computer vision problem. This is something, uh, and an AI problem. This is, this is something going on from the computational perspective where these systems are picking up, uh, a couple frames of an image projected into an environment um, because it sensed it on a camera and is not using other sensors like LIDAR, which we'll talk about in the next story. But it is is—it is basically picking up these images and uh, interpreting them incorrectly, um, which, you know, there, there's a couple solutions to this problem that I can see just from like a you know, simple logic perspective obviously not a coder on tesla's autopilot code but um you know I, I i certainly can see a a solution to this uh at least from a logic perspective you know if if sign persists and was not there you know it's like i guess it, it, you got to figure out what the objects in front of that like was there anything in between the car and the object before and it just suddenly appeared if so, then don't really take it. It's it's this weird. There's a lot of logic that would have to go into it, but I can totally see it happening. Um, the 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 scary thing to me is that yeah, if, if hackers got their hands on billboard signs and just flashed images that told the car to stop, uh, like a stop sign or something, um, that's scary. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's only I I don't know. At least in where you'd find video billboards um, that is probably, you're probably likely to be in traffic anyway. (laughs) That's just my two cents, but it is, it is a safety concern. And um, you know, we'll talk about more about this, uh, this moving forward with autonomous research uh, bit of it here in a a little bit. I want to jump the gun on some of these points I want to make, but um, yeah, I, I see this as a problem, but not one that can't
2: be fixed. I don't know. What do you think, Blake? Yeah, it's interesting in that I, w- I wish the story had a little bit more detail of the study itself, because it's it's kind of hard to think about how this happens. Because I'm, I guess I'm envisioning like being in Las Vegas where you see like a lot of electric billboards or that change and flash and can do a lot of yeah. different colors and that because that's really the most experience I have with it. But I also could see how how it could be a problem because that seems to me more sustainable than something you've got to you know physically change all the time. So. I don't think that that type of billboard's going away, so the issue could always be there. But what I'm not quite sure of is, is this, like, just something that the car is sensing? Because I I actually didn't know this, but, like, Teslas have so many cameras on them that they actually can watch and record anything around the car uh, that it wants to. So if, in like for, like, a security feature, for instance... If somebody walks within a certain proximity to your car, they'll be recorded and it'll send the video to your phone. So, I'm wondering if this is more of the car's camera system just seeing something out of its periphery and then it, interpreting yeah. it too quickly so that it's it's just making being like overly cautious because it's the That's it's so the hard cool. part of these systems, right? That's exactly what's going
1: on here. So, there's a video actually on this wired article. Um, that actually illustrates this in action. So there's a commercial for McDonald's, and on it they flash a stop sign on it in for, like, a couple frames. And you can see the Tesla senses this and immediately stops in the middle of the road on this test course. And then they also do the same thing with flashing a speed limit sign. The, the, the camera system on the Tesla actually picks it up. And you can see all this on the video. Uh, they show you from both perspectives. They show you what the advertisement is, and then they show you the car and what the system is picking up. Um, and it, it shows the car stopping or slowing down immediately after it picks up those signals. So, um, yeah, I, this is hugely concerning for, yeah, those those types of situations where you have those moving billboards, Um, if anyone wants to hack into it and just, you know, program in the stop sign every 30 seconds or something to get an additional car to stop. But again, like it's, I guess it's good that we have these researchers who are trying to figure out these, these kind of loopholes so we can patch them, you know, increase driver safety.
2: And Um, I'm wondering if this this help or this line of research kind of helps Tesla's development in terms of when it's developing some of its computer vision software to weed out, like, where it's surveying, right? So, like, a a billboard's going to be pretty high up in the air compared to where you're at, where you're driving. Uh,
1: Well, if you look at this example, right, like, there's the video on this, uh, like I said, on this article, and you can see that the billboard's, like, right next to the road. Um, And so... Uh, Yeah, in that case, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you're right. If a billboard's up high, I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, whatever field of view it would be could definitely determine that anything above, any sign above, you know, uh, what, like, I don't even want to play pretend. Like, I know what degrees would be reasonable, but um, anything above a certain degree would be unreasonable for a human to perceive and to act on, so... But yeah, I can totally see something like this being solved by logic. It's just a matter of um, of programming it in, um, and that's not a problem for us to figure out. But it is interesting that these patches are, or these uh, these sort of patches of, of safety concerns are still popping up, and we can talk about that a little later. I, I don't, I really don't want to jump the gun on my point there because <laughs> I want to talk about the other one first. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on this one before we move on to the other uh, piece of this puzzle?
2: No, I think it's, although it's like kind of framed super negatively, like I think it's overall a good thing, right? Because this is what's going to continually have to be done in order to improve any kind of computer vision software. So it doesn't just apply to what's going on with like autonomous cars or Tesla alone. Um, But it's interesting that at the end of the article, it does call out that using a different kind of like sense and avoid system using LIDAR can uh, totally avoid this. So it, it's, it's interesting to un- think about, well, like which one has advantages over the other? Does one perform better? Cause just cause you get outside of the specific problem of phantom images, is there something else that LIDAR is not as good at, or is maybe LIDAR the way to go in the future? Lots yeah, of questions. Cool or a questions. combination of
1: the two, right? Yeah. Each one has their advantages. And so, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, we still don't know the whole, uh, I I mean, it's still a sort of booming research field. Um, autonomous vehicles have largely um, what been made popular in the last what ten years or something. and so uh, I we still have a lot to learn. and just like any other field, right, like VR or um, medical field, we're still learning things every day and and how to best incorporate things. So I'm not worried that we won't get there. It's just when this type of technology is already out there, somebody reading this article can go, oh, you know, unless it's already patched, of course, then it's like, whatever. But somebody right now who with ill intent could go and try to hack a billboard and try to get Tesla's
2: to stop on the freeway. Like, that's not great. Yeah, that can be totally terrifying. And we don't want to see that as one of the stories appear either. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. Well, why don't we get into this next news story, too, and then we'll link them all together. All right. So like many things, the coronavirus seven months ago halted Waymo's autonomous ride service in Phoenix. But the Alphabet Group is now using its unit to relaunch public operations there. And they're going to go fully driverless, dispatching robot minivans with no backup human safety driver to pick up people using the Waymo One app. So rides will be provided within a 50-square-mile area around Arizona, where the company has been testing vehicles for the past few years. We've even talked about that on the show a few times. And rides in other parts of the city with human safety drivers will restart in the next few weeks. So Waymo's looking to start with 100% rider-only on, rider rides, so every Waymo one experience with fully driverless operation. Uh, and so over the past several months, Bandivic shifted the focus of a robotic vehicle development away from rides for passengers to autonomous trucking and delivery services, where the risk of infection is far less and far lower. And in this case, for Waymo riders, they're actually limiting the Phoenix service to individual riders or families as a safety precaution that have been tested for COVID. So this is interesting, Nick, because like not only did the company like successfully kind of pivot their business and focus somewhere else in a time for hardship for a lot of different companies. Um, but now they're kind of slowly bringing it back, but keeping kind of like public health and safety at the forefront of what they're doing. However, based on the last story, <laughs> they're kind of like, it feels in some ways, if you read it quickly as if it's jumping the gun, right? Cause now we're going from an yeah. autonomous car to a fully driverless car. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'll try my best to just talk about this article and not link them together first before we start talking about those. Um, but yeah, this is interesting to me because you're right. They were able to pivot and do something that was in sort of the the um, public safety, best interest for public safety because they switched over to those autonomous trucking um, risk of infection, lower you know, industries. And so... Um, The fact that they're coming back now and trying to do this, there's, you know, a million different things. And we actually talked to Dan Nathan Roberts uh, from SJSU a couple months ago about the post-COVID world and what that looks like from a human factors perspective. Um, And, you know, I I think they're doing the right things here. I think, you know, making sure that they're limiting, um, you know, writers to... uh, only folks, you know, single families whatever they said. I think the the interesting thing to me
2: is the linking together and I'll get to that in a minute. But what do you think of this one, Blake? I'm really excited because I don't know, even though it's it's kind of scary based and I know so little about the technology that's actually implemented in any of these cars. Um, but since abo- in the article above it actually talks a little bit about how the lidar system is a little bit safer in terms of some of the, the phantom imagery and some of the trickery we've seen with flashing images on the road. Uh, that happens to be what Waymo uses and what's employed in their cars currently. So I'm assuming that comes to these minivans as well. I think it's nice because it's in a place that's done this for a few years. So Waymo and Google have been testing autonomous cars in Arizona for goodness, yeah. at least since 2016. Um, so I, I feel like it, in such a small radius, it's a great test bed. Um, and, uh, I don't know what Arizona's like. It's definitely probably different than what oh, we're experiencing yeah. here in California.
1: I was, well, I was going to comment on on just Phoenix area in general. It's very gritty, like yeah. grid. And so so I don't see a lot of problems with like automation understanding the limits of the road here in this area. And that's probably why they're starting there. Um the thing I don't know. You, you were going to say what the difference is between, I think, from a COVID perspective. Was that what you're going to talk about?
2: Yeah, because I'm starting to see a giant uptick in traffic where I live. Um, it's like back to almost normal states. So uh, I, wa- yeah. I don't know what it's like in Arizona, but if it's like kind of how COVID's been, where you don't have as many people on the road, maybe that keeps it a little bit safer. Um, But at the same time, I mean, it should be a pretty seamless transition. I'm just interested in how it goes from a end user perspective, because you're you're getting in a car for maybe the first time um, that's fully driverless. And you're you're no longer you're not the operator that's trying to be put in or on the loop. You're kind of just along for the ride. So that's uh, that's got to be a different feeling for sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Let's let's talk about linking them together because I feel like we got a lot here, and you kind of dug into it a little bit with the lidar stuff. So this this thing to me is very interesting because um, I have I have I guess four points that we can talk about here. Uh, number one, safety. Two, human in the loop. Uh, three, trust and complacency. And four, cybersecurity. Right. So let's start with safety. Uh, this this first point here is a little. Um, Interesting to me because there's a danger with moving forward uh, without human safety drivers where things like Tesla's autopilot automation are still being discovered. While they're using different technologies, um, you know, they things like this still are being discovered by researchers in these technologies for automated systems. Now, with that, there's always going to be the advancement in technology or advancement in uh, some sort of uh, service versus the safety. And it's that risk versus reward type of thing. Um, and I feel like, you know, a company wouldn't do this unless they were absolutely sure that they were not going to be held liable for something or that the risk of that liability is so low that they're willing to take a chance to progress to the next step of doing 100%, um, driverless, uh, vehicles.
2: So I don't know. Do you have any other points on safety there? It's it's tough, right? Because I I feel like I trust these companies, like whether faulty or not, right? Because they're they're giant corporations at this point. Google being bigger than Tesla, and I would assume that they have like enough rigor in their testing that the advancement risk shouldn't should not be so high that it's just gonna make a giant loss of life or injury or whatever it may be. Uh, although i will say like the the waymo thing feels like it's skipping ahead a bunch of rungs cuz uh-huh. we're taking the drive and this is really your your next point i mean they we're taking the driver out of the typical either, even like vigilance task of monitoring what's going on with the vehicle cuz i don't i don't know what the setup of these cars is but i'm assuming right. people are sitting in the back seat of the minivan they're not sitting at the the helm waiting for something to happen and if it does they can take control um, so I don't really know. I, I don't think that I have any kind of specific points about the safety or danger because I, I think we have to continue to progress it. And in this Waymo story, it's, it's somewhat a safe bet because they've been testing it for so long in that state in this very tiny area. Right. Well, let's talk about
1: the human in the loop. You brought it up, so I I wanna I wanted to mention this point for a couple of reasons. Right. One, I think anyone who's summoning a Waymo vehicle is going to be aware of what's going to happen. I think um, they everyone kind of knows that these are autonomous vehicles. At, at least you know from from what I've heard. Um, and so, if they were to summon one of these vehicles, they would know that the likelihood of the human driving is low and to, uh, they they probably get a notification as they order. I don't know how it works. I, I'd imagine there's like a, I don't know if it's done through like Uber or Lyft or something, but I imagine there's some notification that pops up and says, hey, uh, by the way, there's not going to be a driver in this thing. Do you consent to this? And you're not, it, we're not held liable for your safety in this situation. And you're like, yeah, hell yeah. I want to go into an autonomous vehicle. So there's that aspect of it. And knowing that, I feel like the folks it, that ride in these, vehicles without drivers are going to be kind of a little bit more cautious they're like oh this is a new interesting technology i've never been in a vehicle that's driven itself without a human driver because um, you can kind of zone out when there's no human driver and it's it, it's like for me if i were to jump into but it, i mean this is me human factors nick it's like jumping into a vehicle that's fully autonomous i'd be like "Ooh, what kind of what what is going on around me that the computer and the system right now is interpreting, and how is it translating that into driver commands? So, that would be me in a situation. I imagine some other people and the people who are trying stuff out like this uh, would be the same, unless they're doing it for other reasons, like uh, it is more financially viable for certain folks. And so, you know, in that case, I don't know if, you know, they'd necessarily care about what's going on around them as much as someone who's super into the technology, like me. Um, they might just be there because it's a cheaper alternative to Uber or Lyft. Um, so I, there's that whole human-in-the-loop aspect, right? So we've we've talked about the problem statement, but the, the problem itself is understanding what's going on around you in any given moment. Um, and if they're riders only, they are unable to interact with the vehicle in such a way to give it commands, as far as I know. And so... Um, not only are they going to be potentially out of the loop in terms of knowing what's going on around them, but then there's also this this issue where they can't interact with the system to course correct in case anything does go wrong. So that's kind of the points that I wanted to bring up there. Um, any other things that you wanted to bring up with human
2: in the loop? There just has to be so much trust in the system at that point. And Bringing it, up the it, next point. <laughs> it really does show that like the technology has to have come some amount of wh- like way in terms of like public purview, because there's no way that somebody's just gonna get in a car if they don't f- because they're gonna have to consent and understand the risks. And I think they're even using the Waymo One app, so this is very specific to driverless safety um, concerns. So it- I just think it's cool that the the company is able and at a point where they can actually prototype test this in a place to learn how it goes and i mean even the spokesman for waymo is like we're going to do this at maximum capacity that we can based off the amount of autonomous vehicles we have or driverless vehicles that we have and they're already projecting based off of you know i think surveys that they've done through the waymo app about this service that it's they're going to need more so I, i just think it's really promising for the technology and i do hope like another story pops up in the positive light, of course, um, in the next week or two about how this is going. Yeah. I wonder,
1: I wonder if, I mean, there has to be something behind the scenes where it's like, hey, we went uh, a whole year without any sort of incidents. um, And I think we're ready. You know, it's like, there's got to be some threshold behind the scenes that they were like, yeah, let's do this. Um, You started talking about trust and I want to talk about trust and complacency. uh, And just from like a, a human factors perspective in terms of the people developing this, not necessarily the folks that are getting into these vehicles. Um, we're we're kind of trusting that the automation works, right? And trust automation is a whole field of human factors. We're not going to break down here, but understand that there's a lot of nuance that goes into that. And I can imagine um, that some people at the company might, I don't have any insight into this, but I can imagine that that threshold of trust is, um, must be high enough for the folks that are making the decisions on whether or not to proceed with something like uh, autonomous vehicles, um, you know, going forward, being 100 percent driver free. Uh, So that threshold has to be high. But I can imagine that threshold is high enough for most, but probably some people still hanging out are like, wait, 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 there's there's still the likelihood and so i'm not comfortable with it right so there's always going to be that where's that level of trust for you to get into one of these vehicles like i would probably get into one of these vehicles and be fine i'm i'm sure it's like it's like flying in a plane you know there's been enough sample size of successful runs as opposed to unsuccessful runs that would put it in my favor that like uh like i got into one of those uh Toboggan gondolas at the zoo like last weekend, right? And that was uh, the whole experience, and people weren't social distancing, and it was a nightmare for people like us who are very careful about how we- Anyway, the- <laughs> I was thinking in my head, I was like, hmm, I wonder how many. What's the accident rate on toboggan slash gondolas? <laughs> know, <laughs> As we got in and, uh, you know, eventually I just was like, you know what, if this was a, a an aircraft or a self-driving vehicle, it would be no different for me. I would I would feel the same way that I do now. Um, anyway, all that to say that everyone has different trust levels and everyone kind of, uh, <laughs> I guess, corporate
2: had to trust this enough to move forward with these plans. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I would imagine that something that's sitting under Google that has to do with this technology would have to have a pretty, pretty serious threshold to allow something to move forward with this that had human lives with it. But the uh, human or sorry, the aut- autonomy, trust and complacency thing is really interesting, because I think a lot of people that work in design or deal with AI design, or in human factors, especially, you kind of have to figure out, all right, how do I garner trust in the system with an operator? And what kind of things do I need to be, what kind of information do I need to present them? How do I need to do that so that they have some sort of trust or they feel comfortable in what's going on? I feel, I feel like it's probably what, what a lot of people dealt with. There were pilots when, you know, auto, auto flight was really coming around. And so I, while you were talking, Nick, I was trying to poke around and see if there is anything like, what, what's the application for Waymo 1 look like? Or what's the inside of the car do while you're actually driving around? And it looks like they've they've got a pretty intensive kind of infotainment system, like what you would expect in the oh, back of an air, okay. like a airplane flight um, that describes kind of the journey and things that are going on in system states. So I think that's, that's kind of a cool way to kind of garner, you know, it trust in people in terms of like what's going on with the car and funny right. enough, it actually still and I think this is a law thing we you, I, you might remember I think we've talked about this before in the past, like I, th- I think car companies that are doing this have to still have the steering wheel in the car. And so there's that yeah. level of the car is that is the same design that I'm used to, even when mom's driving or when I'm driving type of thing. So there's that level of kind of like familiarity that can garner trust as well. So it, it's it's kind of interesting to to think about what they've had to do to make this a comfortable experience. Um, I think one one other like addition they've made is like adding in Wi-Fi to the car so you can do. Uh, pro- productivity stuff or distract yourself while you're kind of, you know, tooling along into the next place you need to go. So it's a, it's an awesome concept. That's for sure. And I think they've done a lot of good work with a trust building aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think from, um, from a writer perspective, it's good. And it's just like from, I guess there's two perspectives, right? There's the perspective of the company uh, do we trust this automation enough to release it publicly and trust it 100% to not kill anyone? Um, and then, do you know, as a writer, do I trust this automation to take me from point A to point B without killing me? Um, and you know, I'd imagine that both are taken very seriously. <laughs> and that's just another fun thing to think about too. When you're, I mean, that's ultimately what trust in automation is. Can I trust this thing? to not mess things up so badly that something catastrophic happens. Um, so I you mentioned cybersecurity. I want to make sure I get your thoughts on this.
2: Yeah. I was going to throw one more perspective out there. Oh, sure. That, yeah. That you likely have to take, or that I think would be kind of a fun, you know, psychological experiment or like grad school study or whatever. But so you're, you're definitely right. So you, you have to think about trust and automation from the, the, company's perspective, which is huge, uh, the end user's perspective, but I also wonder how it changes everybody else's driving behavior, oh, uh, yeah. because you see this thing and it's like, do you just drive better because you're scared? I don't know. Um, or do you drive worse cause you want like, you know, mess up the technology, whatever. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting if that provides a safer driving environment, just because it's, it's like an alien technology almost that's driving I around. Yeah.
1: Small anecdote to that, I have no problem cutting Teslas off because I know they'll slow down. So that's like, you know, it's also finding little tricks with the technology that's working, right? Like it's a dangerous move and I'll only do it if I need to get over, you know, but it's like I I feel more comfortable cutting a Tesla off than I do any other vehicle because I know that automation system will slow down. Um, And so it's, uh, you know, it does change other driver behavior if you're aware of what they do
2: um yeah good point well Cyber that's really security. funny too because oh, you <laughs> your your take on it was way different than mine like because you you almost as a, a third-party driver trust that like let's let's use the tesla case you trust the tesla because you know what it's going to do so you can you can drive as you need to uh so yeah. that's pretty sweet
1: i'll put a billboard
2: on the back of my car with a
1: stop sign oh on there and you and see go what happens
2: <laughs> oh man don't do that that's dangerous it's very dangerous apparently <laughs> yeah unless they've patched it like you said which could be the case since this article's like a couple days old
1: i mean that's another application though i mean imagine those like those vehicles with the billboards on the side uh or you know like the taxi cabs with the the advertisements on the top does that stop the vehicle too like there's so many questions so um anyway you, you i, I want to make sure we get to cyber security here
2: Oh, yeah. So this was just, that's what this all felt like to me in that first story. And I didn't realize how how much they actually bring it up towards the end of kind of like the hijacking of basically, because if, when these electronic billboards are put together, it seems like they're actually internet connected, uh, which makes sense because you're just swapping out images, you know, changing. Right. D- different people are paying for spaces. That makes it really simple to do. But the fact that that's the case, the more and more people that drive Teslas, the more you become a little bit more exposed. Um, and in this case, the cybersecurity threat there is a little bit less traceable because it's your—it's not affecting your car directly. It's just a problem with something that's ancillary to your car that you can't necessarily do anything about. You as a driver don't see it happening. Um, and so there's no way for you to intervene in time. And I, th- I think this highlights why it's important to continue doing these types of studies and research, uh, just because they're I think we we've talked before about the potential security vulnerabilities in the car system itself if people were to hack it but if there's like outside things especially since we live in a world of very much like internet of things um, if there's outside technology that has nothing to do with you directly that can be that can interact with your car uh, that just provides like a giant level of danger. Yeah, I agree, um, and it it really highlights sort
1: of a, a different level of cybersecurity than we might think, too, right? It, when I think of cybersecurity and autonomous vehicles, I'm thinking of the vehicle itself, and not necessarily the system surrounding the vehicle, right? This is cybersecurity with the billboard sign uh, in the first case, and so it's like, um, y- you know, you have to take the same level of secure measures as you do with the vehicle if anyone gets their hands on the vehicle yeah they can control it and run it off a cliff and kill you but they can also put you in danger if if they get a handle on these billboards too and so it's you know you're only as strong as your weakest link and so if the billboard is the weakest link then you know that th- there you go you have to enable cyber security at all levels and you can't you know like the city A person who's in charge of the billboard or however those work, you know, they can't just put, you know, password 1234 as their password and somebody guesses it and flashes stop signs up every two
2: seconds uh, causing a bunch of accidents. So, um,
1: yeah, good point with cybersecurity there.
2: I also think it's something that companies like Tesla are going to have to continue to think about because although this was like this was pulled together from, you know, research at a university, I would imagine these things could happen on the fly as as we increasingly just, you know, put technology in different places, um, be it billboards or, you know, sidewalks or whatever it may be. So it'll be it'll be an interesting road ahead from like what cybersecurity as we know it is now and how it will evolve as we get kind of more immersed in technology as a society. Right. I always imagine whenever studies like this come out, the people
1: who are doing the research at Tesla or whatever company it is, they're always like, finally, we got all the safety stuff out of the way. Now let's work on this cool new feature. And then something like this comes out and they're like, all right, well, that takes priority. (laughs) You can't work on the cool new features, which I mean, obviously is, um, you know, safety first. Uh, but we want to see cool features too. So it's a risk versus reward, right? Definitely. How, how likely is it that somebody's going to hack a billboard? Eh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I just want to thank all our friends over at Wired and Forbes for our news stories this week. And thank you to Matteo for posting these in our Slack. I thought these were an excellent kind of themed two uh, stories to talk about. If you guys want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles in our Slack as we find them. So join us over there for more discussion. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to be seeing what's going on with the Human Factors community.
0: Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month, and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash Cast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends
1: right and we're back yes our patreon is a great place to be did you know that we also have a merch store if you like what we're doing want to support the show you can also uh go over to our merch store The link is in the description and help rep the podcast wherever you go we got some cool stuff uh on that merch store like uh we finally got the brain cap you know the 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 cap with our human factors brain logo that we used to use on the youtube videos we have that as a cap. That's cool. Uh, we got a shirt that with the Human Factors logo ring that looks like an Iron Man shirt. I personally have that one. Uh, so if you want to help support the show and look good doing it, we also have a merch store. And of course, something that's not mentioned in that promo at all, which we need to update, uh, is Human Factors Minute. It's a great um, addition to your Patreon rewards. We're always updating those and, uh, and sort of making sure that they are worth your value. So go take a look over on our Patreon if you want uh, some good good stuff to help support the show we we get back to you for supporting the show let's see how that works all right well let's go ahead and switch gears and get into this next part of the show it came from
2: it came from
1: that's right it came from reddit this week this is part of the show where we search all over the community to bring you topics the human factors folks are talking about and this week it comes from uh uh, Reddit, you know, we, we have to we have to resort to Reddit sometimes. That's okay. This one is a, actually a really great one, um, and this one comes from the Human Factor subreddit. So this one is, uh, what designs or products are out there that you think need the help of a Human Factors engineer? This is a great question. They go on to write, common applications usually go to aviation and automob- uh, auto, but what other areas of design do you think need Human Factors? Uh, Blake, what areas of design do you think need Human Factors?
2: Man, I really think that educational online education systems that are used in universities could really use some help from a human factors engineer because there's there's like one thing to be said about design of something, so changing aesthetics following best practices that way, but I think really from the human factors engineer perspective, what's wrong with a lot of things like Blackboard for instance is the workflow that's that's required of, you know, teachers who are putting stuff in lectures up online, interacting with it for grading, the, the clunkiness of it. But also now in a world where we're doing so many things more virtually, um, where students are having to basically base their entire learning experience in online forums um, and through video calls. I just think there there's definite work that could be done to help make these systems more usable and create kind of the, the – YouTube learning environment if you will, right where it's it's like higher quality video content that's easy to find and use and interact with. or even like one company that I've really that, that no no shame because I pay for the service is called Scrimba, which is like it has changed kind of how code learning systems work where basically it's like it's working with an instructor but building live code at the same time without requiring both to be in the same place um so things like that like taking best practices from other systems that are out there that work really well would be really cool to see um but nick what do you got what do you think could use the love of an hfe
1: everything
2: and i i I know that's a cop-out answer but let's talk about it a little bit more
1: right because everything obviously that humans interact with uh, or even don't interact with can benefit from having somebody with the human's best interest in mind and doing research and improving the product. Right. Let's get that out of the way. Um, I think there's a place for us all over now. I will say that there are more things that are there. There are products and services that are more critical, um, to preserving human life than others. Right. So you have, you know, uh, health and safety. You have uh, medicine. You have things like uh, automated vehicles that we just talked about, right? That is all something that would probably take more precedence than something like, uh, I don't know, coloring book instructions or something like that, right? So, but I do think that there is a place for human factors in a lot of different things that we might not be thinking about. Um, I know for a fact that, you know, there are people that work on the human factors of refrigerators uh and appliances and that's something that can go overlooked um and you know th- i can tell you now that there are systems on the edge of being uh what's the word i'm looking for like public um publicly accessible so i'm, th- I'm looking right now at my 3d printer and i am thinking wow that could use a lot of work in terms of human factors but it's not critical. It's not mission critical. It's not going to kill people if the human factors isn't there. And it's still a sort of new technology, right? Again, within the last 10 years, we're just starting to see um, sort of 3D printing take, take a hold. So it's, it's like it's those new fields that don't have mission critical um, risk associated with it that I think could most benefit from a human factors person on the team. Uh, that's kind of where I stand, um, but again, everything can be human factors. And you know, uh, my wife will never forgive me that now that I've now that I am a human factors person, it's like I can't not see it anywhere and I complain about everything. So there, to take it with a grain of salt,
2: I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like a blessing and a curse. Once you can see see the way a human factors person does, you can't unsee a lot is of problems. It like this?
1: Why isn't it like this? It should be like this. Who's doing this? Look on LinkedIn for who's the human factors person at X company. Um, (laughs) Have you done that?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Only to discover oftentimes when I'm complaining, there's not one there, (laughs) which is good. Well, Hey, and there's your answer to this question.
1: If you're, if you're like looking at something and are like, man, the human factors on this is bad. um, Go look on LinkedIn. See if there is one. And if not, Uh, You may have just talked yourself into a role So uh, okay That's it for uh, the reddit this week Um, Did you or did you not Have something for this next part that I don't want to mention If you don't have anything I think the answer is no I don't Okay, that's okay. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week. If you want, you can join the discussion on our Slack. We're always hanging out there, chit-chatting about all the news stories. Or you can follow us all over our social channels at H Factors Podcast. If you want to get to us directly, that's show at humanfactorscast.com. Uh, If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple ways of doing that. Uh, Like I said earlier, you can consider supporting us on Patreon or buying from our merch store. That stuff actually really helps us out. Or clicking on any of those affiliate links. It costs you nothing to do that. And, uh, again, really helps the show out. Everything that you do goes directly back into the show. So it's all good. Helps us go to things like HFPS. Anyway, enough of that. If you don't have uh, means financially, that's fine, too. You can always leave us a review. uh, And that helps others find the show. So uh, you know, it's all—it's all just one Human Factors Cast love fest over here, um, and of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, HumanFactorsCast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about how they can
2: get into an autonomous vehicle? If you'd like to ride an autonomous vehicle, you can reach me at Don't Panic UX across social media or at Blake in our Human Factors Cast Slack. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media
1: at nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time,
2: it, it depends. depends.
3: Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience.